So as many of you know, uh, my wife and I both studied for ministry in Atlanta, Georgia at a uh, seminary called Columbia Theological Seminary. Uh, and while we were both students, uh, we both worked at a local church in Atlanta called North Avenue Presbyterian Church, mostly working with college students, uh, students mostly from Georgia Tech and Georgia State and Emory and Agnes Scott. Um, and it was a wonderful, wonderful number of years that we got to serve there. Now, because we work with college students, the main time that our work would take place is obviously during the school year. But uh, during the summer, because there weren't nearly as many students around, Beth and I were kind of freed up to help in the church in different ways. So it was normal for us to get a call saying, could you help with this, or could you do that, and just sort of supplement what was going on in the life of the congregation. But one day I got a call, it was a pretty unusual phone call because the senior pastor called me, which didn't happen every day, and he was like kind of panicky on the phone. And he said, hey, listen, uh, I don't know what your plans are for this week, which felt like a loaded question. Uh, and he said, um, but the youth trip is leaving tomorrow for their annual uh, trip to a camp in Florida. They went every year, the youth group kind of like the middle school and high school ministry kind of had this almost pillar of their ministry. Kids would plan for it, they would go. Covenant has this kind of stuff. And they would go to Florida, to the beach. There was a, a kind of a conference. There would be youth groups from all around the country that would send uh, students for that week, hundreds and hundreds of students. There was worship, there was teaching, uh, there was just fun, and, and it was, it's, it's great. And he said, that's leaving tomorrow. I said, I'm aware of that. And he goes, the thing you're not aware of is our youth director just called and he's sick and can't go. And so I was wondering, because we need to have a staff person there, could you go to Florida tomorrow for a week of camp with the middle school and high school students? And, um, and I was like, well, what do I, what, like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, what do, you, what do you gotta do? I don't know how it works. He goes, hey, the good news is you don't need to worry about the logistics. We got a lot of volunteers who are going to be there, uh, adults who are going to be there, and one of them is named Bobby Ingram. And Bobby has gone several years to this. I knew, I knew Bobby. He's a great guy, uh, married with young kids, and he goes, he goes every year. He's a logistical kind of guy. He's going to handle the logistics and the details. You're there to do the upfront stuff, you know, kind of uh, uh, pray with kids and, and, and lead some of the Bible studies. You know, you're in seminary, so you can just sort of wing that in the moment. You're going to be great. But, like, Bobby will handle the stuff and all the logistic and the details and everything else. And I was like, okay, I don't have kids, so sure, I can just leave for Florida tomorrow. I'm like, no notice. I can just, like, live that impromptu. And so I went. We got in vans, went down, and I was in charge of um, uh, high school boys. <laughs> now, um, in my head, I was like, I do college ministry. What's the difference in a 21-year-old and a 15-year-old? It's like basically the same thing. Uh, they're just a little smaller. Uh, turns out there's a lot of development that happens in those years that I was just unprepared for. I had to learn some things. For instance, one of the things I had to learn that was different is that I had to walk into every situation and do a risk analysis of what was there because if anything could be turned into a stunt that would endanger people's lives, these boys were going to figure out how to make it that way. First day we were there, we went down to the swimming pool. Uh, we got in there a little early, and so um, we just had some free time. The, the, the hotel we were staying had this pool, and we started a game. It was a benign game at first. It was a game where we had a Nerf football, and I was throwing it to them, and they lined up, and they would run and sprint and jump off the edge of the pool, try to catch the ball in the air and hold on to it when you'd hit the water. Easy, fun, right. Then they decided to up it a little bit. He said, let's use the diving board because it's a longer throw and it's a bigger jump. I know, no one got hurt on this part. Uh, they were running down the diving board, would jump off, 
as a parent now, I see why you hesitated there. At the time, I'm like, this is going to be fine. And they would leap off, and I would throw the ball from the side, longer throw, bigger you know, degree of difficulty. They would try to catch it in the air before they hit the water. Now, at that moment, being the responsible adult that I was, I decided I need to keep these kids hydrated. It's July, it's Florida, so I'm gonna go get some water. And so I said, hey, when do you guys come throw the ball? Uh, I'm gonna go inside and get some water for us. Don't, you know, be safe. And the problem with that is I left that up to their interpretation of what safety was. <laughs> I was gone for literally five minutes, came out with this water because I was responsible, and in the five minutes, they had upped the game again. There was a metal awning. It was about nine feet tall giving shade to the, the uh, parts of the pool area, and they had climbed up onto the awning, were sprinting down the metal, jumping off of the roof to try to catch the ball uh, before they went into the water. The problem was there was about two feet of concrete between the awning. No one got hurt, everybody was okay. Uh, but I came outside and it's like, guys, what in the world are you doing? I said to be safe and they're like, it's safe. It's fine, everybody's okay. It's like, get down off of the awning. We're not doing this again. So by the end of the week, I could walk into a room and be like, don't jump off of that and don't break that and everything else is gonna be okay. You walk into every situation assessing risk and looking at what could we turn, how could this be turned into a stunt? The other thing I learned is that high school boys need no sleep to function on a ton of energy. So I was in a room, I was chaperoning a room, I had like four guys in there with me. I think they slept a total of like seven minutes over the course of the week. They were staying up, they were doing, at least one of them was awake, they were playing pranks on each other. And yet, when they would get into the day, they just had the same energy and they were just functioning at this like, this speed that was amazing to me. So by the end of the week, everything went well. Everyone had all their limbs intact, but uh, I was stressed. I was exhausted from being there, and I was grateful I didn't do youth ministry uh, at, the end of, at the end of the trip. What I also learned is that in, in, in my makeup, and this will not surprise anyone who's worked with me, how much I needed Bobby, Bobby Ingram the volunteer who handled the logistics. The first couple of like minutes I was down there, I was like, well, I'm the staff person, so I'm not gonna ask him for help, because like, I should know how to do this. And uh, by the end of the trip, like every five minutes, so I was like, Bobby, how does this work? Bobby, what are we supposed to do? Bobby, do you have those forms? Bobby, do uh, what's the time? Like, how long is the drive? He, and he just, that's how he was wired. Like, he didn't wanna do the upfront stuff, but he had every detail of it down and just kept us moving, kept the trains moving on time and just made it happen. And it was amazing to me. At the end of the trip, on the drive back up, it was several hours drive uh, through South Georgia, uh, at North Florida and South Georgia, which is a beautiful drive, uh, to Atlanta. We're in the, uh, in the van, and Bobby's driving, I'm in the passenger seat, and the boys had finally gone to sleep, like on the drive on the way back. And so it was quiet for the first time. And we were playing music, it was worship music that we had listened to during the week, and everyone's quiet, and I'm looking out the window, and I distinctly remember going, I am so tired, I am so like done, I just need to like go home and not talk to anybody, and I'm gonna take some days off next week and recuperate from this, and you know, I mean, it's been good, and everybody, I just, I'm kinda, and I turn around, and Bobby's driving the van, and he's just crying, he's just crying. Now, remember the senior pastor said, I was there to do the ministry stuff. And so I just waded right in to that tender moment. I'm like, dude, I hear you. I am, 
I am tired as well. <laughs> this is like a lot, and these boys are a lot, and I get it. You don't need to be scared of your emotions. You can just let it show. <laughs> You're almost back home. Your family's gonna be there. You can get some sleep. You can take some time off. Brother, I am here with you. You have made a difference on this trip. And he goes, yeah, it's, there's a lot that's in my head right now. I'm like, me too. It's, uh, it's a ton that's in my head right now as well. And he goes, you know, I'm just thinking about how 15 years ago, I was a high school student and it was at this camp that God changed my life forever. That I encountered Jesus at this camp. And I'm thinking today. And I'm looking and thinking about those boys in the back and wondering, I wonder if one of them, this is the week. This is the moment. This is the time that their life's going to change forever. And I just find myself, you know, just praying for them as we're driving back. I was like, yeah, me too. Like, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm thinking about all of that stuff too, and I'm tired. Uh, but yes, absolutely. Bobby was a living witness to me of what our scripture text today is about. And I invite you to keep him in your mind as we're talking through our passage today from Romans 12. Okay, because this has got something important to say about how we are called to live our lives, all of us. And so I invite you to listen to Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. Paul writes this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually we're members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are, how we walk in here, what opinions, what thoughts, what doubts, what beliefs, I pray that all of us would experience your gospel, your good news today, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want us to do today with this passage is I actually want to look at it in kind of two parts. And I'm going to invite you to keep uh, the, your bulletins out. And, or maybe open the Bible, because we're going to refer and read this passage in two different uh, sections, okay? And it's the division there in your bulletin is how we're going to divide it up. Because I think that Paul really writes this in a way that's, that's um, really helpful, because he gives this in the first two verses, the first section we're going to talk about, a really important teaching, a concept that every one of us needs to be considering in our life, a way to think about our lives and how we live. But then in the second part, he takes this concept and he kind of says, this is what it actually looks like. Kind of gives an application, okay? Of here's what this looks like in the real world in Austin, Texas today. And so I want us to read those two sections, understand the teaching and concept, and then secondly, try to ask the application question of how it impacts the way we live this week, okay? 
So the first section, verses 1 and 2, this is the teaching. We're going to reread these two verses now, and I want you to be listening for what is the concept that Paul is trying to convey to all of us. Again, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what's he saying here? What's he teaching about here? Well, what Paul is doing is he's asking us to think, and the language of thinking in the mind is going to come up both here and in the next section. He's asking us to think differently about our lives, why we're here, why we exist, what our lives and decisions are supposed to look like. And he wants you to think in a different kind of way. And what he wants us to think about is he wants us to understand that everything we have is meant to be offered up to God. Everything that we are, everything, every decision we make, how we spend our lives, how we spend our time, our decisions, our values, all of that is to be uh, uh, offered up to God saying, God, what do you want to do with this? How do you want me to live? It's not about giving a little bit of our money or giving a little bit of our time or giving a little bit of our attention to God and then the rest of our lives we move on with. He says, take everything that you are and ask what God wants to do with that. Your whole self is a living sacrifice. Some of you heard me uh, talk about this before. Uh, the Jesuit order, when they uh, were training, starting hundreds of years ago, when they were training people to come into the order, asked them to have an image for how to live their life. And the image was to live on one foot. I can't hold this very long, so you've got to get a mental picture right now. But what they said is to have one foot in the air so that you're just ready to move whenever God tells you to. God says move here, you're ready to move. If God says go back, you're ready to move. If God says move forward, but they say that standing on one leg, ready to step, that is the mental image for what I think Paul's talking about here. Just ready, like I'm just offering myself up to you. What do you want for me? What does God want for you? What does God want with every detail of your life? I wonder how many of us, as we're moving from summer into fall, as we're thinking about our calendars, as we're thinking about what we're going to do, how many of us are looking at the year ahead going, God, what do you want for me this year? What do you want for my family? Before I start making a whole lot of decisions of what this is going to look like, Lord, what is your vision for what the year ahead should look like before I just default into activity? That's what Paul's saying. And he says oh, that, 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 that begins with your mind, how you think. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Fast paced, fast moving, I sign up for seven, we just keep going. He says, to, to not live your life like a strategic plan, but to live in response to a relationship, to a God who held nothing back, who gave everything for us. And so we want to present ourselves as a living offering, following in the example of Jesus. What does God want for every detail of your life? I've heard it explained this way before. Some of you may have heard this. That it's like if you think about a car, if you have a car, um, that there's people that designed the car. There's engineers. There, there's people who constructed the car. And they have recommendations for you about how you should maintain and drive your car. Right? They'll say to you when the check engine light comes on, you should probably go get the engine checked out. Right? They're going to say to you, you should get your oil changed at a regular... We designed it. We understand how oil works. We're telling you you should go do this on a regular basis if you want the car to run optimally. You know, if, if you're in Austin and it's really hot, which it tends to be right now, if you're driving and your temperature gauge goes way up, you should stop. Put more coolant in the car. You don't have to, 
But if you want the car to work right, you should follow what the people who designed it told you it's supposed to be like. What Paul's saying here is that God has designed and created us, and God's saying, hey, I'm telling you, the way this is supposed to work is not you clamping onto life and just considering the little things. It's going, Lord, how am I supposed to live? He said, I gave you the example in Jesus. Empty yourself completely. If you don't run your car that way, it's like, it's okay. It's not going to work very well. It's not going to work for very long. You don't want to follow what God says that we're supposed to do and how we live our life? God's like, okay. You can go, you can do whatever you're going to do. It's not going to turn out all that well, not because God's punishing us, because I designed you. I'm telling you, this is the fullness and richness of how life is supposed to do, to wake up every day like this. What do you want? What do you want me to do? It's a way to think about the days in the year ahead. That's just concept. So what does that actually look like? Like, how do we start living that way? How do we have our minds transformed to know, as he says at the end here, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect? I mean, I want to know what's good, acceptable, and perfect in life, don't you? So how do you have your mind transformed that way? I'm glad you asked. That brings us to the second section that's there, kind of the application. We're going to bring that up. You can read along here on your bulletins. He goes on to say, so for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, in the compassionate in cheerfulness. So what does that mean? What's the application? I think naturally what we do is we run to the gifts. Oh, what are my gifts? What are your gifts? Oh, we all have gifts. Everybody in the church has gifts. So I've got to use my gifts. And what are your gifts? And I kind of wish my gifts were more like Jan's gifts. But I'm glad that they're, I'm not going to name a name here. Uh, but I'm glad they're not like that person's gifts because we all got different gifts. And what are my gifts? And I've got to be in touch with my gifts. And I wish I knew my gifts. And I'm going to follow my gifts. And, you know, I'm going to use, like, that's good. And we all are created uniquely. But I think the key to this whole passage is found in verses 3 and 4, a section you're probably not going to gravitate to. Because what Paul writes, and I want you to think about this, as he says about renewing and renewing your mind, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, how you think. In the next section, he comes back to that imagery and he says, the way to think is don't think too highly of yourself. It's right there. How to think? Don't think too highly of yourself. And that is something that we in our culture, we don't like. We love the like empty platitudes. You're so amazing. You're so wonderful. There's nothing you can't do. Like when my daughters post online, I find the comments just hilarious. It's like amazing, wonderful, gorgeous. And they are amazing. They're gorgeous. They're wonderful. I get that. But they're just these like blind platitudes. And we, it's like so amazing and everything else. And then you got Paul in the middle of that like cultural stuff that's like, hey, you know what my version is? Don't think too highly of yourself. How many parents here are like, you know what I tell my kids every night when they go to bed? Don't think too highly of yourself. <laughs> like, we don't like this. Like, I don't want my kids having like this negative impression of themselves. I don't want to have this like shame-filled like way of thinking about What do you mean don't think too highly of yourself? Well, look at this language, guys. This is so important. He's not saying have a negative image of yourself. 
He's not saying to think badly about yourself. He's not telling your, 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 your children to have a negative image of them. It's not what he's saying. He's saying don't think too much of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. And the question that should be in all of our minds when that is like, okay, well, what's the line? What is it about thinking too highly of yourself? That word too is a big word there. So what is too much of thinking about myself? And I think that's where the rest of the text comes in. Because if you look at the rest of the text, I think what he's saying, and think about this, I think what he's saying is, you know you're thinking too highly of yourself when you're thinking about yourself too much. It's when your thoughts are mostly about yourself. Your platform, your family, your career, your little orbit. And that might be when we cross the line. And that leads into the gifts. Why do I say that? Because the gifts, he then sits there and says, yeah, it's amazing. Paul's not saying you're not special. He's saying you are. He's saying all of you have different gifts. Every one of you in this room has different gifts. He's saying some of your gifts are this, some of your gifts are this. But if you look at this list of gifts, the thing that holds them in common is all of these gifts are given to you, but none of these gifts are for you. They're not for your benefit. They're all for the benefit of others. Look at that list. And, the, and the, for the generosity you give, well, that's not like that you, you're not generous to give to yourself. You give away of your time and resource. To compassionate is another gift he lifts up. Compassion literally means that word to suffer with another, to enter into another's life and to walk with them in the difficulty. The exhorter is an encourager. You know, you're encouraging other people. A leader, a good leader is not somebody who insists on being in the limelight and being branded all the time. A good leader is somebody who wants to get underneath and serve the community in which they find themselves and to lift other people up. Every one of these gifts is given for you. God doesn't mass produce human beings. God has uniquely made you with certain gifts that are different from everyone else in this room. But none of these gifts are for our own benefit. Don't think too highly of yourselves, you, Paul writes here, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you're thinking about your life, your decisions, your values, your time, how much time are you spending right now saying, Lord, how can I use my gifts to lift up other people? to serve other people, to meet the needs in my community. How have you uniquely equipped me and gifted me to lift up people outside of my orbit? And if you need an image of how to think about that, I invite you to think about Bobby Ingram. I was exhausted coming back from Florida in that van. I, and I had been on the clock, guys. I was the staff person there. I was paid to be there. He was there as a volunteer. He was there as a volunteer uh, who, who didn't just go to his summer, even though he was married now with kids, going, well, how are we going to spend our summer? They built their summer around when's that camp happening, and everything else revolves around it. His family had to sacrifice so that he could go and be there. He had to take vacation time from work in order to go and to be a part of volunteering at that camp. To do what? To, to, to not do anything anyone's ever gonna make a movie about. To use his gifts of logistics to be up first every day, making certain everything for the day was right. To make certain that all the forms were in place, to make certain that all the logistics were in place. That's what his brain was wired to do and he used it that week. 
on very, very, very little sleep <laughs> to make certain that it came. And as we're driving back, this guy is crying in the driver's seat. Every one of us, no matter what our age and stage of life, should know what that place is that brings tears to our eyes because we are serving something larger than ourselves. Paul wants us thinking about our time that way. What is it for you? And if you're sitting there right now going, I'm not certain what I have in my life that's bigger for me than brings me to tears because I believe so much. I want you to consider the problem with our lives is not that we're too busy. It might be that our lives are too small, too narrowly focused, that we're thinking too highly of ourselves because what we're doing is thinking about ourselves too much of the time. We worship a God who gave everything for us and it changed the world forever. C.S. Lewis equates joy and purpose. Bobby had a sense of joy in that van because there was a purpose that he was using his gifts and called into. As you think about your day, as you think about your week, as you think about your life, I invite you to think about whether your scope and viewpoint is big enough, wide enough, generous enough. Because when you do start thinking that way, you're going to know what's good. You're going to know what's acceptable. You're going to know what's perfect. And that is a life worth living. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for your leading and your guiding as your called people. And we lift this up in Christ's name. Amen.